0: Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Arizona's been under a stay-at-home order for more than a month. With so many of us stuck inside, this week we're taking a look at what's going on in the world outside. While a lot of work has come to a standstill due to the pandemic, One project that's continuing full speed is construction of new wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. On Wednesday, the Washington Post reported that President Donald Trump wants to paint the new sections of 30-foot steel bollard wall black, which would cost at least an additional $500 million. Members of Congress, along with conservation and humanitarian groups, have repeatedly asked the president to stop the wall project during the pandemic. The Center for Biological Diversity is one of the biggest opponents of the president's wall. We spoke with Lake and Jordahl about where the project stands.
1: Wall construction has actually been accelerating uh, despite the coronavirus pandemic. Um, not only has it not stopped, but they are pushing ahead with hundreds of miles of new walls that they have announced um, in the last two months alone. Um, We're right now seeing walls being ripped through the Cabeza Prieta Wildlife Refuge and Wilderness Area, Organ Pipe Cactus National Monument, the San Bernardino Valley, um, some of the most beautiful and remote places in the state of Arizona.
0: Was this construction we were expecting before the pandemic?
1: The construction that's currently happening, um, that has been scheduled for a number of months. Um, But since March, since the pandemic really took hold, Um, they have announced almost 150 miles of additional construction planned through Arizona, New Mexico, and California. Um, These newly announced walls would rip through our beautiful Sky Island mountain ranges. They would cut off corridors that jaguars and ocelots use to migrate across the border. They would essentially blast through some of the most rugged mountains along the Arizona border.
0: So for years, we've heard a lot of these areas do not have wall construction because they're just too rugged. It's too expensive, it's too difficult, and nobody is crossing through those areas anyway. So what does Customs
1: and Border Protection say is the need for the wall in these areas? Well, you know, Border Patrol has consistently failed to justify this construction to any of us. Um, It's been painfully clear from the beginning that these border walls are a political stunt. They're a talking point for Trump's re-election campaign. Um, They they make very little tactical sense at all. Um, And as you mentioned, Chris, um, these walls would be blasting through rugged, steep mountain ranges um, built through areas that very few, if any, people are crossing right now. Um, I was out at the Tinejas Altas Mountains last week, um, this beautiful, rugged granite mountain range that desert bighorn sheep use to cross back and forth across the border. and I looked up at these stunning mountains and hundreds of feet above me, there's this caterpillar excavator that is tumbling massive rocks down this mountainside. Um, these are rugged, sharp granite slopes covered in cactuses. Um, this is not a place that it makes much sense to cross the border in the first place.
0: And this is the area that the center released the drone footage from, uh, an area d- known as the Devil's Highway, correct? Correct.
1: Yeah, so this is the most remote region probably anywhere along the entire 2,000-mile U.S.-Mexico border. Um, it's this ancient uh, historic trail that was uh, first used by indigenous people, um, then colonizers and, and miners. Um, it's this beautiful uh, storied landscape um, full of cultural and natural history. Um, you know, it, took, it takes about seven hours to drive this trail. Um, it's a 130-mile four-wheel drive route. Um, and right now, about half of it is, is being bladed and bulldozed. Um, and of course, it's called the Devil's Highway because it's such a rugged and forbidding route. Hundreds of people had lost their lives there. Um, and of course, people still do lose their lives there that are traversing the desert um, to try and come into the States.
0: What is the center most concerned about when it comes to this construction?
1: Well, I mean, this wall that's being built uh, across the Devil's Highway, it cuts through the heart of the Sonoran Desert. Um, this is the best preserved uh, ecosystem in the Sonoran Desert anywhere. Um, and, and this wall quite clearly will stop all wildlife migrations. Every, every species of wildlife larger than a pack rat will not be able to cross the desert here. Um, and of course, there are huge impacts on the ecosystem uh, when you cut it in half like that. Um, out in the desert, you know, food and water are, are extremely scarce. Um, and, and wildlife have to travel long distances to find what they need to survive. Um, if you put a wall up between wildlife and their water source, it's pretty simple. That that means they're probably not going to make it.
0: The center has filed suits to try and stop these projects. Where do those suits stand?
1: Yeah, so the center's filed um, more than half a dozen lawsuits um, against different aspects of border wall construction. Um, most of those are still pending in court. Um, We have petitioned the Supreme Court to take our case, challenging the Trump administration's authority to waive every relevant environmental law to rush these projects. Uh, We remain hopeful that they'll take our case, um, but every day that we wait, uh, more desert is destroyed, more wildlife habitat is destroyed, um, and more miles of wall are being built.
0: We're talking with Lake and Jordahl with the Center for Biological Diversity. You all also raised objections to just the flat cost of these projects, correct?
1: It's an unbelievable price tag um, on these border walls that, again, seem to serve no tactical purpose.
0: In addition to legal strategies, the Center and other conservation groups have had a number of protests about the border wall construction. Given the pandemic, are, are those out of the question right now?
1: Yeah, we've we've put a lot of energy into um, having these big public demonstrations um, of opposition to this project. Um, Now, of course, with the coronavirus pandemic, it's impossible to gather in groups. Um, We obviously don't want to expose anybody to a risk of infection. Um, So we've been essentially fighting this wall from from the confines of our living rooms. Um, And it's extremely frustrating because construction workers are still at work. Um, There are thousands currently building the border wall in all four border states. Um, And now it's a lot harder for us to protest. It's harder for us to be out there documenting the damage. It feels deeply, deeply unfair. If the lawsuits
0: aren't successful and the construction continues, is there anything that can be done in the future to mitigate the wall for wildlife and, and, and the natural
1: surroundings? You know, We will not stop fighting this um, until these walls are taken down. These walls have been built illegally with no consent from Congress. Um, They've been built with no compliance to laws like the Endangered Species Act. Um, We are not going to stop fighting this project until we see every mile of wall that was built illegally by the Trump administration ripped down.
0: Thanks so much for uh, meeting us online.
1: Wish I could be there in person,
0: but good to talk with you, Chris. That was Lakin Jordahl with the Center for Biological Diversity, which has filed numerous lawsuits against construction of the border wall. U.S. Customs and Border Protection provided a lengthy response to this interview. The agency states that the locations identified for new border wall construction are selected based on the Border Patrol's operational needs and that the Tucson sector is an area of high illegal activity. CBP states the new border wall system will curtail smuggling activity and improve agent safety. In response to environmental impacts, Customs and Border Protection states that the wall projects are contained within a 60-foot-wide strip of land reserved for border enforcement. The agency says it's committed to responsible environmental and natural resource stewardship. It says it includes environmental review and consultation with other agencies, tribes, and stakeholders into planning and execution of new border wall, including identifying and minimizing impacts to sensitive resources. CBP says it's working with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to identify locations for the passage of migrating wildlife. It also said it has a long-standing relationship with the National Park Service to minimize impacts and relocate protected and sensitive plants, especially cacti. Customs and Border Protection says the new border wall is part of the agency's long-term strategy to gain operational control of the border, and any increase in construction activities is due to the progression of those projects and not COVID-19. You can read their full statement on our website. We've had a wet winter in southern Arizona, which resulted in a beautiful wildflower season this spring but it also brings higher risk of wildfires this summer. John Truett is the state fire management officer with the Arizona Department of Forestry and Fire Management. He says the fire season has already started with new fires nearly every day somewhere in the state. For the moment, he says it's much like this time last year. We're just about on
2: on pace right now, um, but with this accelerated heat wave we've had, and the record heat, uh, we're going to actually, you know, surpass, you know, being at average and go into uh, a little bit above ahead of season uh, with all the curing going on right now um, throughout the state, even uh, up in uh, the northern part of the state. uh, We're already seeing uh, with the heat wave up there, we're already seeing our uh, fuels dry out faster than than normal.
0: Does that mean potentially we'll have a busier fire season this year, or is this just a snapshot of right now and doesn't necessarily predict the rest of the season?
2: No, I think we're going to get uh, very active this season. Uh, compared to last year, uh, similar conditions with the vegetation growth we had with the, with our uh, ongoing uh, uh, winter and, and spring rains. The thing about it this year is the higher elevations above the rim in the in the conifer forest Last year, they weren't ready to burn. Uh, This year, we're on the second year of drought. And those fuels uh, did not absorb a lot of moisture this winter. And we're already seeing fires up at 9,000 feet, which are about a good uh, two, three, four weeks ahead of schedule. So that kind of concerns us that, uh, comparing this to last year, the the conifer forests really weren't ready to burn. But this year, everything's ready to burn. So we're going to get very active throughout the state at once.
0: The U.S. Forest Service has put a ban on recreational shooting in the Coronado, Prescott, and Tonto National Forest through July. Will that help things for you guys? Most of our fires are human-caused. Uh, a
2: few of them have been target shooting. A few of them have been uh, burn barrels. Uh, we had a couple of uh, fireworks. So, yeah, you know what? If uh, we have to put on restrictions, then uh, that's just going to benefit— uh, you know, the, keeping the ignitions down to a minimum with the, uh, with the potential we have this year. You know, with the, with the addition of the COVID-19 and the, um, you know, the folks being home more right now, so we have a lot more folks, you know, within uh, doing their yard clearing, and they just got to remember that this year we have that continuous grass crop, and any spark will lead to a, just a very continuous spread of the fire. Uh, it's just abnormally uh, high grasses this year.
0: You mentioned COVID-19 and how that's keeping all of us home. But how has that affected fire operations as we move into the season?
2: You know, we've all been working very, very uh, close with all of our uh, local fire departments, our local fire districts, our federal partners, uh, all the way from a regional to a national level uh, to come up with uh, you know, mitigations uh, on how we're going to address uh, firefighting this year. Um, everything that uh, uh, the, the CDC protocols is totally opposite uh, what we do on the fire line as far as fire line safety and firefighter safety. Uh, our firefighter safety is number one. So uh, what we're doing is we're trying to uh, do a combination of both, uh, you know, the uh, CDC protocols when necessary, and then uh, obviously the, the the firefighter safety. And what that really truly means to us is we have trained some of our strategies to where, we're using more of an aerial uh, attack this year, but knowing that uh, when you use uh, aerial uh, uh, retardant, it still needs to be backed up on the ground. It does not put fire out. Fire will, will, will still creep through it.
0: Has the COVID-19 pandemic stopped you all from doing things like prescribed burns, which also act as training?
2: We have put a, a, a temporary uh, stop on all of our prescribed burning. Uh, yes, and the, the COVID-19 is a product of that. Uh, we've been told uh, by some of the, the medical authorities that, you know, that, that uh, when we get smoke up in the air, you know, and if we, we actually, you know, put smoke out in the community, that will lessen the, uh, the ability for, you know, uh, folks to, to, to kind of uh, ward off the virus. It makes the, the, the respiratory system a little weaker, so we don't want to put any any smoke up in the air and uh, you know risk any any potential to the to the public
0: we're talking with John Truitt he's the state fire management officer with the Arizona Department of Forestry and Fire Management with the pandemic going on does this also mean social distancing any talk about having to change how the camps are set up and how things operate because of the pandemic
2: uh, yeah. Once again, uh, the last uh, month, month and a half, it's been nothing but that. Uh, trying to figure out how we're going to run, you know, a Type Two incident and a Type One incident. Uh, you know, how we're going to house a thousand to two thousand firefighters. You know, how we're going to break these camps up. There's a lot of things that are uh, planned out that none of us know, and we won't know until we actually live it.
0: So, with all of this being said, uh, you know, wet winter, growing grasses, COVID nineteen. Budget challenges. How worried are you about this year, as opposed to last year or other years?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm extremely uh, alert this year of what's going on. The awareness of uh, the the COVID nineteen really puts a, a real uh, um, a challenge to us. When we're in that real high tempo firefight, you know, we we're not going to be able to do the social distancing because of the communication issues. Um, so we're going to have to do those trade-offs. You know, we're going to have to trade off what the, uh, what the potential of spreading a virus is compared to firefighter uh, you know, injuries on the line. So I'm really concerned about all the mixed messages we're getting of how our folks are showing up to, on the fire ground. Usually they have a, a good focus. This year the, with the COVID-19 and the different strategies they've been told to use, they're not coming in as confident as we, as we uh, usually expect them to. There's a little bit of confusion, you know, initially on the fire ground. And that confusion uh, really bothers me and it worries me that, that we're, we're going to compromise firefighter safety.
0: All right. Well, fingers crossed that uh, when it comes down to it, it all works out the way it's supposed to, especially on the firefighter safety part of this.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm real confident in all of our folks and the training that we have. You know, we're, we're very prepared for this and we're up for the challenge.
0: Thanks for uh, sharing some time with us. All right. Thank you very much. That was John Truitt, state fire management officer with the Arizona Department of Forestry and Fire Management. Governor Doug Ducey will allow restaurants to resume dine-in service starting Monday as part of a gradual reopening of the economy. But with gyms, pools, and playgrounds still closed and cabin fever running high, many people continue to go outdoors to stay active. The Buzz's Vanessa Ontiveros has more.
3: Trails remain open at popular destinations like Coronado National Forest and Saguaro National Park, though agencies have closed visitor centers, picnic areas, and restrooms due to worries about COVID-19. And people are getting out. An excessive number of cars at the Reddington Pass trailhead a few weeks ago prompted Pima County Sheriff Mark Napier to issue a warning about the safety hazards of blocking the road to emergency vehicles. Mark Hart is the public information officer for the Arizona Game and Fish Department in Tucson. He says the combination of more visitors and less working staff on federal lands has led to a buildup of uncollected trash. That becomes an issue when wild animals start wandering into new locations to forage for discarded human food.
4: And we had our first bear sighting of the year happen in Nogales, we believe, because it was foraging discarded produce. So that's just a concrete example of... What can happen when garbage starts stacking up at the national parks or in the Coronado National Forest?
3: The issue becomes more serious when wild animals become dependent on trash or other leftovers. That can lead animals like bears and mountain lions to travel from their natural habitats into neighborhoods. High temperatures may also make it hard for animals to find resources, so they travel farther in search of them. If you do see a wild animal, like a bear or mountain lion, outside of their normal territory, Hart recommends calling the Tucson Dispatch for Game and Fish. And if it's safe, people can also discourage animals from visiting residential areas themselves.
4: If you can do so safely, we would ask you to haze it away with loud noise, waving your arms, anything you can do. We want that wildlife to associate human beings with unpleasant experiences.
3: To help lower the risk of wandering wildlife, hikers are encouraged not to leave behind any trash, even in trash cans. Instead, people should take their trash with them and discard it at home. But the increased crowds don't just pose a risk to animals. Even though the great outdoors offers plenty of room to move around in, Hart says maintaining proper social distancing guidelines while out in nature can require some maneuvering.
4: Being on a trail can be very tricky because trails tend to be narrow and you can't pass somebody coming towards you safely from a six foot distance, unless you step off the trail. So we would ask people to do that too.
3: To help reduce the risk of spreading the coronavirus, Saguaro National Park limited groups to 10 people or less. And just like everywhere else, people should try to maintain distance between themselves and others, Hart says.
4: We want people outdoors. We realize this has really been a long haul for a lot of people, but you can't just discard uh, the CDC guidelines and you have to be aware of the impacts to the environment that are being caused by this situation, particularly on federal lands.
3: And with summer temperatures now here, always remember to wear hats, sunscreen, and carry plenty of water. For The Buzz, I'm Vanessa Ontiveros.
0: We've asked you to share your positive stories with us during these challenging times. This week, several of you said you've been enjoying nature more. Cheryl said she's spending quiet time identifying bird calls and listening to bobcat whales. Teresa in Whitman says during this time of isolation, she's been embracing the simple things in life, watching quail, hawks, roadrunners, and owls, as well as the sunsets and Venus in the sky at night. Anecdotally, birds and other wildlife may be enjoying having less humans out and about. We talked about this with Jonathan Lutz. He's the executive director of Tucson Audubon.
5: What we're seeing is that birds are carrying on as usual. They're they're singing. They're looking for mates. They're nesting and and already raising young in southeast Arizona. We have a sense that um, birds and wildlife are are more active during this time. Uh, thinking of um, popular birding hotspots like the Patent Center for Hummingbirds, Patagonia. Um, they're they're closed to the public right now. So birds are probably. Um, Enjoying in whatever form that is, enjoying the, the lack of pressure or interference, disturbance, whatever it is that we cause when we are in their space interacting with them. But the remarkable thing about this time is that people are you know, relatively isolated and they're more intensely observing the things that are immediately around them. And that includes birds, birds on nests, birds coming to bird feeders, birds enjoying and benefiting from native plants.
0: Even as we're stuck at home, policy changes on a national level are continuing, which have impacts on wildlife. Uh, an example is the recent official publication of the Trump administration's Waters of the U.S. rule. How will those federal changes affect wildlife in Arizona?
5: Well, we're, we're certainly concerned about the changes to waters of the United States, or we, we like to say WOTUS. Um, in particular, the, the redefining of of, of what a navigable waterway is. So the ephemeral streams, the, um, the streams that occur primarily as the result of annual rainfall. So if you think about Madera Canyon, if you think about Sabino Canyon in, in some respects, um, those are no longer going to be covered under, under the protections um, that uh, perennially flowing streams are going to enjoy. We know these areas are critical for both birds and people. Um, and so we're, we're monitoring um, as those changes are happening and seeing what we can do uh, in Arizona to protect these waterways that don't have water in them year-round but are critically important to wildlife. The the other piece of federal legislation that we're watching right now is um, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. This is a piece of federal legislation it has been in place for over a hundred years. It's almost synonymous with the word Audubon. And um, recently the punishments for unintended take, uh, so if a bird is killed, but you didn't mean to, um, the the punishments for that have been relaxed dramatically. Uh, the concern there is that as we try to get the economy in the United States going again, there's going to be a lot of um, support for businesses and um, less consequences for businesses conducting themselves in such a way that are harmful to birds.
0: Spring is always a big time for birding tourism and activities. Have you all seen a, a downfall in that? And and what's that meant for some of the programs that you all have been running?
5: Yeah, so recreational birding in the state of Arizona is a billion dollar business. It's a billion dollar economic impact for our state. And as a result, there is an ecotourism um, economy here in Southern Arizona. Um, Our partners in the guiding community and the tour operating community are really hurting right now. We know that because trips have been canceled left and right. And and many of those folks are going to struggle to come out of um, the negative impacts of COVID-19. Tucson Audubon ceased our our field trips, our workshops, and our classes back in March. And we're not anticipating that those are going to resume for for a while yet. We've also had to go ahead and cancel our August birding festival, um, which draws um, 1,000 to 1,200 people on an annual basis. So the pivot for us has been, um, like, like everybody, has been to use Zoom. And uh, fortunately, our staff is very nimble and creative and have been able to take a lot of the content that we would normally have, even in a field trip, and and put it online. And participation has been fantastic. We've had an average participation in our Zoom classes of about 65 participants. And what we're seeing is while we are a a Southeast Arizona-focused conservation organization, our audience is truly national. And we knew this before, but the Zoom classes are really validating it um, because we're seeing people from all over the country participate in armchair birding sessions at Sweetwater Wetlands Park or classes about Cornell's eBird program. And uh, it's, been, it's been very exciting. And, and more than likely, um, Tucson Audubon will continue to do these virtual engagements even after um, birding opportunities in the field open back up again
0: when you talk about armchair birding in somewhere like sweetwater how are you doing that do you have cameras out there or somebody's out there alone pointing out stuff to everybody on
5: zoom how does that work well we'll have one one solo birder go out um, equipped with uh you know a, a phone and you know the the zoom app and uh, take people on a, a essentially a virtual tour of um, of the habitat and answer questions along the way it's, it's a lot more interactive than, than we ever imagined, and it's keeping people connected to birds, um, even while we're in stay-at-home conditions.
0: Thanks so much for uh, virtually meeting with us.
5: It's my pleasure.
0: That was Jonathan Lutz, Executive Director of Tucson Audubon. And that's The Buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.